Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I was walking in this morning because I got the bus and I was walking up oh good morning by the way I was walking up Patrick Street as I do after I get off the bus down there in the Grand Parade strolling up love that little stroll actually in the morning like this but I was looking at the the buildings on particularly as you walk up towards Patrick's Bridge on the left hand side of Patrick Street say from maybe the Vodafone shop or yeah, maybe McDonald's and Winthrop, maybe Winthrop Street, opposite that end of Patrick Street as you walk up. And and I couldn't help but agree with your man from CNN, Richard Quest, uh, because I'd read about what he said. He actually only said one very brief thing about Cork in an interview with the Irish Independent over the weekend. And I, I couldn't actually disagree with him. He was here filming for a couple of his CNN series, the tourism series and his business series and stuff like that and I like this guy, he, he calls it as it is and he's not afraid to kick you in the teeth um, now and again and what he said about Cork and I, I want to know do you agree with him and I think I did take some pictures as I walked up Patrick Street this morning and I know that we have them, not too sure if we've shared them yet of that side of Patrick Street as you walk up and of course the big empty hulk that was once Debenhams although I think something will happen with that before the end of the year and something is happening already with what used to be the Victoria Hotel so that's all good that's all good but the other side from just after Gentleman's Quarters up there to the Savoy it's manky absolutely manky that's the only word for it to be fair we've put some of the pictures up on Twitter so you can see them. And Richard Quest said, Some of the places look tatty. I thought that in Cork. I loved the English market, but the buildings look tired downtown. I could not disagree with him, unfortunately. Now, the Lord Mayor didn't. 
Uh, the Lord Mayor said our city is rising and changing. Yes, there are areas that are dated like any city, but there's also areas that have been completely transformed. Marina Park, for example, North Docks, works to commence in Grand Parade Quarter, Seamats and Bus Connects, Docklands. The greatest regeneration project in Northern Europe is underway. We've half a billion funds secured from government so far for Cork. Quest means business. Well, he should know business is a progression. Rome wasn't built in a day. In 20 years, our beautiful city will have transformed. It already has begun. As Lord Mayor, I've had the privilege of representing our beautiful city all over the world. Let me tell you, from the cities I've visited, we aren't doing too bad. Lord Mayor is right when he talks about us being a change city in the next 20 years. But Kevin Hurley, he's president of the Corp Business Association, joins me. Kevin, Lord Mayor's right about Docklands. Lord Mayor's right about Marina Park. He's right about many things. But Patrick Street is not looking good at the moment. Good morning. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good. Um, Look, Cork is not without its problems uh, as regards dereliction. But I think that this guy, Richard Quest, um, is there to sell uh, his product, his media, and so on. And, you know, bad news sells, in my opinion. And I think he's being a little bit harsh on us. Absolutely, there is an issue with dereliction around North Main Street, uh, certain parts of Patrick Street. But if you look at other parts of the city, for the likes of Princess Street, Oliver Plunkett Street, Pembroke Street, all these streets that have the fantastic outdoor dining and all of that stuff going on, we're really punching above our weight as regards being a city compared to other cities. And I just think he's be, he has been a little bit harsh. I was down the marina myself this morning for a run. It's absolutely stunning down there, the new park. You've got Fitzgerald's Park, and you've got a huge amount of things that are going to happen in the next couple of years as regards the whole Bishop Lucy Park development, the uh, Queensall Castle development, as you just said there, the Rocha Stores Stroke Debenhams building, which is going to go up for sale. And I'm hearing rumours that it's going to be bought and developed as a mixed-use uh, development of city centre living, mm-hmm. offices and shops. Great. So, uh, OK, this guy is... He, he's, he's got his point across, but I just feel he was a little bit harsh. He's making the point, though, I would suggest, Kevin, as a, as a tourist stroke visitor who, who doesn't have time to look down for Docklands, who doesn't have a whole pile of time to look around at the good stuff, but is there in the middle of our main thoroughfare, our main street, and is walking down, as I did this morning, maybe at ten past or quarter past seven in the morning, looking down at a whole swathe of it looking drab and empty and sad. And he's basing what he said on that. And as a person who spends maybe a day or two here, is he not justified? Um, no, that's the honest, my honest opinion. I don't think that's justified. I think he's only just had a, a quick look at, at Patrick Street. And as I said to you, I'm not, I'm not um, denying that there is dereliction. That's a problem in itself. But I just feel that he could have looked further afield. Would you not deny that Patrick the, Street is looking a bit drab at the moment? It is, absolutely. And the problem, like everyone's blaming Cork City Council for this. But unfortunately, it's, the, it's a national government issue. The, the compulsory purchase orders are taking absolutely years. If you took, take, take the, um, the building at the top of Castle Street on North Main Street, um, that took them years to get a, a compulsory purchase order mm-hmm. on it. And that is going to go up for sale now soon. And hopefully that will re- rejuvenate that, that part of the street. Um, you know, things are happening, but 
unfortunately, Cork City Council, and we, we in the Cork Business Association have been speaking to them on this, their hands are tight. If they, I, I, like you and me and everyone else would love to just go in and say, hey, listen, give me that building, I'm going to sell it, and some guy is going to put a shop or an apartment block in there or whatever. But unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that. It takes years. Mm. Well, it's profitable to let them sit there. That's true. <laughs> there's, nobody, you know, there's nobody denying that. It will only go up and, in value. You know, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And it's, but until they change the law on that, then, you know, unfortunately, the council's mm. hands are tight. But I would say, PJ, like, you, you know, you, you said you walked down Patrick Street this morning. There's quite a lot of buildings that are going to go up for, for release and going to go up. They're going to be transformed. Like, if you even look at the Savoy, OK, it's been empty, whatever, I'd say, seven, eight, ten years. Mm. That's going to be a big apartment complex now uh, within the next year. And as I said already, the Queen's Old Castle, uh, Debenhams, all of those other buildings. And, of course, the uh, the Monsoon building, which was... Um, which, which came out last week with the beautiful facade. So, you know, there's things happening. It does take time. Mm. Unfortunately, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah, yeah. You see, my fear, Kevin, and I'll say this straight out, having been there about four times in the past year, albeit, again, brief visits, I'm talking about O'Connell Street in Dublin, which was used to be one of my favourite streets. It's a kip. O'Connell Street in Agreed. Dublin is a kip. And my fear, Kevin as a Corkman, is I don't want my main thoroughfare to turn into a kip. I 100% agree with you, PJ. I have a business on Patrick Street, yeah. and the last thing I would like is for it to turn out like O'Connell Street. But I have friends who have centra shops in Galway and Limerick, and we had a conference last week in Dublin, and a couple of them came up to me and said, wow, you know, you're really doing so well in Cork in relation to, you know, the council being so proactive in getting the streets um, uh, with all the outside dining and all the different incentives that Cork City Council did. So, you know, I, I, as I said to you, I do agree, but unfortunately the other problem as well, PJ, is that retail is changing. So closed retail, etc., a lot of it's moving online, and it's mm. going to have to be kind of I hate that word, but there's going to be some thinking outside the box going to need to be done to, uh, you know, maybe uh, re- revitalise these buildings as different uh, different types of units rather than clothes shops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, unfortunately, you're, you're right. So many places are now selling online, you know. Yeah, and, and you see, the other, the other problem as well, that, and I, this is where I would disagree with Cork City Council, is that they're, um, they they don't want uh, cafes and restaurants, etc., as part of their strategic plan. They don't want them on Patrick Street. They're going to have to change their view on that, I think. Mm. Um, you know, the only place on Patrick Street that you have outside seating is the Chateau Pub. Um, and, you know, I think that if they want, if they don't want Patrick Street to end up like O'Connell Street, they are going to have to change their thinking on that. Okay. Kevin, thank you very much. You You disagree with Richard Quest, though. I do. I think he's been a bit hard on us. Well, you know what? Okay. He never goes easy on anybody. That's Richard Quest's <laughs> shtick, as it were. But Kevin, thank you very much. Kevin Hurley, President of Cork Business Association. So what do you think? I mean, look, the Lord Mayor's right. The problem is the Lord Mayor's right. And Richard Quest is right, in my view. Lord Mayor's right. Marina Park is going to be brilliant. Okay? Uh, Docklands would be fantastic when it happens. Anything that is going on is great. But they're short, they're, they're long-term projects. But at the moment, Cork City, City Centre, Patrick Street, we've put those pictures up, drab and dreary and awful. So the Lord Mayor is right when he says we're going to have a great future. Kevin Hurley, he's right when he says the future looks bright. 
But Richard Quest is right when he says the buildings look tired downtown. Downtown meaning Patrick Street. Whose side are you on? And the, I, I'm actually glad that he, for example, didn't didn't see this. Oh, stop. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if Richard Quest had been around at half nine on Thursday night last and saw that? Do you know what I mean? So, is he right? Is he wrong? We were talking about that on Friday morning on the opinion line. That brawl in McCourton Street... Uh, on Thursday night. And myself and Fiona were chatting in the office this morning about this as well. McCourton Street's brilliant. I love it. It's great what they've done with it. But the upper facades of those buildings, some of them could well do with being sprayed. And look look across, actually, where I am here in Studio One, looking out on a lovely late spring morning. Summer's next week. A lovely late spring morning. I'm looking across at Merchant's Key Shopping Centre. And what I see is a lot of dirty brick that could well do with being power washed. Could well, it's because it's dis, all disfigured and dirty from diesel fumes and could well do with being, with being sprayed and washed. And that's what I mean by civic pride as well. Where are we on this? How do you, who do you agree with? Do you agree with O'Mary? Mary, you're on the line. Hi, Mary. How are you doing? Hello. How are you? What do you want to say? There's, I was just listening there. Richard Quest doesn't know what plans Cork City Council have in the pipeline. And in fairness, I don't think any of us want to wait 20 years until Patrick Street is a nice place to walk up. Um, but if, at the moment, we sell the English market is our biggest tourist selling point, okay? Yeah. So you're staying in a hotel in the city and you know, the Clarion, wherever you're staying, and you're turfed out. Well, you have to leave your room or whatever. You have your breakfast, you leave your room. At 11 o'clock, you're there with your backpack on your back in the middle of Cork City. Right. You go to the English market, you while away an hour there, and that's very nice, and you love it. And you come out, and where do you go? Mm. You're not going to um, walk down to the Marina Park, and we get a disproportionate maybe amount of rain. It's not always very pleasant maybe on a Saturday morning when you're out of your hotel with your backpack on your back and you want to go to... Say if you bought something in, you know, cheese and ham, where could you go and eat it in the city centre? You wouldn't go across to Bishop Lucy Park after coming out there and sit down and, you know, with your... You know, he's Pr- pretty, absolutely pretty and right. all though it is in there, to be fair. It is, it's, but it's small and, it's, and you know what I mean, you don't know. Who you're meeting like, there. You, you come out, like PJ, put yourself in this man's shoes. You come out of the English market at, say, 12 o'clock on a Saturday and you have to spend another four hours in Cork City. Mm. Where could you go? Yeah. Uh, on foot, you know what I mean? my kind of thing because you're you know obviously UCC and that but they're all a bit away and to get to any place you have to you know you will see North Main Streets you will see the dereliction and if you look up at any of our buildings Mm. you know you will see grass growing out them you will see vegetation growing out them you will see all sorts you know broken windows yeah. yeah, 
you know, it's it's not it's not very pretty like kind of thing. And even places that out, you know, I won't say it's very um kind of pigeonhole to particular, you know, even the businesses that keep their own place nice. It's very, you know, it's the ground floor. It's the immediate yeah. outside. And it's just not pretty. Yes, you could go to the Crawford Gallery. That's very nice. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. You know what I mean? Uh, I do. 20-something inside. Now, now there's a beautiful... Just, when you look at it, though, Mary, and there is Emmet, Emmet, Place, Emmet Place. is a beautiful space. And and the, pan- and the pandemic really helped Emmet Place because you've places like Luigi Malone's and they extended out into the street and Emmet yes. Place on a sunny day is a gorgeous yes. place for a bite of lunch and a beer. Wonderful. Yes, absolutely. But we have so few shops that you could walk in or out of in the city centre. You know what I mean? That would keep you occupied for a couple of hours or, yeah. you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's not a good shopping destination anymore. Yeah, well, most of the shopping now is in the, the if you like, the necklace. Of and that's, and that's consistent, but we have seen that happen. That's happened in so many, you know, kind of... The smaller cities, I think, actually are worse affected than bigger cities by that yeah, because right. there will always be more footfall in the centre of a large city, no matter what they have in there, just by the density of population. But definitely the smaller cities, this move out to the suburbs, we've seen it in... English, and they pedestrianise everything then. The car parking on the South Mall is an absolute disaster because not only is it reduced, it's now parallel parking, which takes people ten times as long as it did to drive into the... You're not You know, the spaces. So you're delayed there every time you go up. If there's a space free ahead of you, God help us, you could be waiting for somebody to parallel park there for... Mm the best part of 10 minutes by the time the person is out, the first person is out and the yeah. other person takes their place. And, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I don't think... I know the bicycle lanes and we all have to have them for whatever reason, but they're not actually helping yeah. people yeah. in the city and the kind of... The city experience isn't being helped by what's going on with parking and everything. The Lord Mayor is as proud of Corkman as anybody else. And and I agree with an awful lot of what he's saying about the future. I, mean, I agree with every word he says about the future. Similarly with yes. Kevin. They both are great believers in, in the future. But the point I was making to, to, to Kevin about Richard Quest was he was playing tourist. He was landed in the city centre. He had a limited amount of time. This was what he saw and he... And we can all see it, like kind of thing. You know yourself if you come out, land on the Grand, or whichever side of the English market you come out. Mm. Actually, probably Princess Street is probably the best initial experience, but then you either have, then you have to go up to, you probably, as a tourist, go to Partick Street, whereas I'd say most Cork people would probably head down Oliver Plunkett Street. Yes, they would. Look that you know, but, but, they, but they are going to go to the main thoroughfare. Yeah. So if you're thinking and looking as a tourist, Richard Quest is right. Obviously, Lord, my, and my late father used to say, don't ever ask anybody where they're from. If they're from Cork, they'll tell you. And if they're not, it's not fair to ask. <laughs> oh, God, I like your father already. <laughs> Mary, thank you very much. That's a great call. Her late dad used to say, don't ever ask any. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's brilliant. 0818 96 96 96. What do you think? What do you think? Some stuff coming in, which which I will get to. 
I cannot disagree. Actually, I can't disagree with anybody in this conversation, which is a strange position in which to find myself. I cannot disagree with the Lord Mayor that the future is fantastic and we are a city rising and a city rebuilding. I cannot disagree with Kevin Hurley, who says the same, that you will always have spots that look drab and dreary. You will always have that. But I also cannot agree, or cannot disagree rather, with Richard Quest, who was doing the tourist thing, landing in our main thoroughfare and finding it drab and run down. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine in. 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. If you're worried about monkeypox, we're going to address it in just a few minutes with one of the voices of reason that brought us through the uh, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. We get to that monkeypox story, which is growing every day in just a couple of minutes. Before I go to Jack Lambert, I'll be speaking to actually Professor Jack Lambert in just a minute or two. The great John Campbell, who was with us many times during the pandemic, has been speaking about monkeypox on his channel, which has over 2 million daily viewers. And just before I get to Jack Lambert in a moment, this is what John Campbell has been saying about monkeypox on his YouTube channel. The topic today is a disease which you may have heard about in the press, uh, monkeypox. So what is this monkeypox about? Just to put your mind at ease straight away, is this going to cause another pandemic? Uh, no, it's not. Is it a relevant and interesting disease? Uh, yes, it is. Well, we'll be going to Jack Lambert on it in just a couple of minutes. Calvin, though, has sent us a WhatsApp voice note on the whole city centre Debate. You can do that too. 083 396 96 96. We'd love to get them. What does Calvin have to say on the state of our city centre? I'm listening to that lady there. She's actually correct because I stayed at the hotel in the city uh, for the weekend and yesterday morning we had to check out at 11 o'clock and there was nowhere to go. Even the hotel that we were in weren't serving even a coffee. And I suppose, look, I'm a very, very proud Corkman, as any Corkman is. I'm very proud of our city. But to be quite honest, the city has gone to the dogs. It looks horrible. It looks absolutely terrible lately. Strong words, Calvin, and thank you. Your thoughts are also welcome on this at 083-396-9696. Dan says dereliction is rife and Cork City Council doing nothing about it. Hundreds of properties lying idle, left to rot all over the city. Properties that should be homes and businesses. Criminal in a housing crisis. PJ Richard Quest is right. The city centre is a kip, has been for a long while. The unused buildings are creeping into Alfred Plunkett Street. We need to swallow our pride 
admit it, and the powers that be need to do something. Some of those buildings haven't been used in a long time. Turn them into houses or something. Use them for something. Our main street is going the way of O'Connell Street in Dublin. Drab, dark, and turning into a horrible place. And Kate says, I agree with Richard Quest. Our main street is our visiting card. That's a good one. That's a good one. Kate, our main street is our visiting card. And if you look up high, we have beautiful architecture that show the building to be a real asset. We've left it go to pot. What is anyone visiting supposed to think if our main street is like that? And plenty more besides. But I want to go to the subject of monkeypox. There are cases now, something 80 to 90 cases confirmed worldwide. Israel, Switzerland, Austria, parts of Europe, the US, Canada, Australia... In Europe, it's in Spain, Portugal, Germany, Belgium, France, the Netherlands, Italy, Sweden. In Belgium, they've asked people who are close contacts of confirmed cases of monkeypox to isolate for three weeks. That seems to be coming in as well. In Britain, uh, they have something like 20 cases last time I looked in the UK. So I said we'd better catch up with a man who has been and was one of the voices of reason on the opinion line throughout the whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we catch up with Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine. Jack, good morning. Good morning. Good to speak with you again. Y- yes or no, Jack Lambert, is this something we should worry about as a general population? I don't think so, actually, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's a warning sign that uh, just how easily you know, infections can spread from one continent to another, you know, just like COVID-19 did, just like Ebola continues to be a risk. But monkeypox is a fairly, you know, benign infection. Um, so so it's it's not like smallpox, like it's not a major killer. But it does raise the, the issue that somehow this virus got from Africa to Portugal and then it spread from Portugal to a number of different countries all over Europe, um, and it's gone to America, it's gone to Australia, it's gone to Canada. So, so it, it, it's amazing how infectious these organisms are. Mm. Is it that our, if you has our global immune system, and that's an awful mash of words now, but has our global immune system been affected by COVID to the point where other things can spread? No, no, I don't think that's it. I just think it's just, it's just that we are such a, a mobile society now. You know, I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that, you know, somebody went to, uh, you know, Africa, had sex, or somebody came from Africa, went to Lisbon, had sex with many, many different people. Those people had sex with other people. Those people, tra- you know, are going, obviously, to, to, to on sexual tourism, you know, events, you know, in Portugal, Spain. They're going back to the UK. So I think it's more a matter of, you know, society's changing. We are a mobile society, uh, and and we're also, you know, we've changed our, you know, our, our sexual behaviour um, is is different than it was, you know, kind of a generation ago. Is this a, primarily then, Jack, a sexually transmitted disease? Is that what you're saying? Yes, it is. It is. It's actually spreading primarily in men who have sex with men. That's 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 kind of the origins of it. it appears now. 
you know, men who have it can be transmitted by, you know, aerosolization. And there are a few cases, I think, in, in children who didn't have sex, you know. Um, so they obviously caught it by aerosolization. But the bulk of the population is men who have sex with men that are coming up with this infection. And that is the warning sign that's all, all throughout Europe is, is making, you know, SDI clinics aware that that's the population we should be worrying about. The rash is is nasty looking. And are you infectious when you have that rash? Should you be unfortunate enough to pick this up? Well, yeah, that's it. It's a pox. It's, it, it is like, you know, it's like chicken pox. It's like smallpox. It's monkey pox. So it's a, it's a, it's a pox rash that if you, if, and people who are becoming infected are becoming infected in the genitals and being infected in the face, you know, that's the source of contact for sexual contact. So, so it is, it is contagious, you know, if, if, if you're in contact with a person who has these lesions. Yes. I read that in, in 2019, there was a, a conference in the UK and there was people there from the University of Cambridge, the School of Tropical Medicine and, and, and those sort of experts and they said that this could happen. They warned in 2019 this could happen because of the fact that there were, it, it was something that could jump into, they called it the, the smallpox void. Yeah, well, well, there you go. I mean, I think, I, I think that, that, you know, that we, we've, we've, we made predictions about, uh, you know, virus X, a respiratory virus in 2019, that turned out to be COVID-19. So COVID did come along as predicted two, three years ago. Now they're predicting, you know, monkeypox and it's here. And there's going to be more predictions. Like I said, we're in a different, uh, we're in a different situation. We were a generation ago. Mm. Uh, You know, in fact, people, you know, people are closer, you know, global warming, uh, you know, you know, rural communities encroaching on, you know, urban communities, international travel, we're kind of a setup for for more of these infections in the future. Fortunately, monkeypox is is not a major lethal pathogen, um, but the next one might be lethal. Yeah. So how do we prepare? We've we talked an awful lot, or we're reading an awful lot, Jack, these days about preparing now for the next pandemic, because inevitably there will be one. How do we prepare for that? I, I just think we have to, we have to not just drop drop our guard. We, you know, whatever services we put together, you know, in terms of uh, you know preparedness for next the next pandemic. I think every country has to have a committee, a group that's working together, planning for this. Um, I think what happens is we react to a crisis and we drop the ball. We react to a crisis and drop the ball. I think we need to have a national kind of pandemic committee in Ireland that continues to, to work together. And, and, you know, MATA is the National Isolation Unit for Ireland. We have specialists there at the MATA who are planning for monkeypox in case anybody needs to be admitted. But we need to also plan for other, you know, other new pathogens, you know, whether it be Ebola, whether it be another surge of COVID-19, mm. we need to kind of not let, you know, our guard down, yeah. which is the, the, which is what people want to do now, following two years of being burned out with COVID-19. Which I guess is, is the most human of things to, to want to do. But to, to sum up lastly, Professor Jack Lambert, nothing specifically to worry about except a reminder of how pathogens can spread in the modern world. 
Absolutely. I think that is the message from uh, the current monkeypox, you know, kind of outbreak worldwide. All right. Thank you for that. Always a pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line. Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine, uh, consultant in infectious disease and uh, also doctor at the matter. Thanks, Jack. 0818 96 96 96. So nothing to worry about for the vast majority of us, the vast majority of the time. You're not going to get monkeypox the same way as you got COVID. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But it's just a reminder that in this world in which we now live, things can travel across the world very, very quickly. And the three-week isolation, I was listening to another expert on another radio station this morning, the three-week isolation sounds very harsh. But for most people, monkeypox appears to be a three-week infection, after which you'll be grand again. So that's why they want to do it. A lot of people citing, I have to say, with Richard Quest of CNN with regard to the uh, city centre. It really is very drab looking, says Ashling. It needs to clean up. Buildings need a wash as well. More outdoor seating areas, not just down side streets. Tim says, Pana is city's shopfront. It's a kip, apart from a few stalwarts like pennies and BT and duns. It is council's fault because we started the 21st century with main drainage, five years of chaos there, followed by the laying of the new Beth Galley layout. That's all those big lights up on the poles. Then the 2008 economic crash, from which Pana has still not recovered. Now vape shops, massage parlours and the Pana ban. Credit to the council for the good works elsewhere, but the need to address the damage done as we're heading towards an O'Connell Street look. What about Blackpool, PJ? Have you been there lately? I have to say, I haven't been in Blackpool for a while. Sorry to say. Richard Quest is right. Cork City in general is a sleaze hole. The Prawn Sandwich Brigade doing nothing about it, says Joe. Dereliction is rife, says Dan. Cork City Council doing nothing about it. Hundreds of properties lying idle. A lot of people siding with Richard Quest. Um, PJ, there's a small seaside town called Port Rush up north. It also links with another town called Port Stewart. Oh, I know Port Stewart. A number of years ago, these two places had been very run down, but again, very popular holiday destinations. A few years back, the Golf Open was awarded to the Royal Portrush Club. Local business and council kicked in and used art to turn old buildings into something nice. The city maybe needs an international eyes-on event that would force the council to act. That's from Paul. Yeah, Paul, I was in... I was in Port Stewart last summer during my holidays. I spent a very, very enjoyable day there, and it's beautiful. But I was talking to a guy in a pub there, and I said, this is a lovely little place. He said, yeah. He said, the Gulf Open made such a difference because millions was poured in, and they just made it look really, really lovely. Yeah, you're right about that. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that, Paul. 0818 96 96 96. Keep them coming, and we... Take more of your voice notes if you want to send them to us at 083 396 96 96. Who do you agree with here? Do you agree with the Lord Mayor who says, look, we'll be fine. There's a lot in the pipeline. There's a lot happening already and a lot going to happen. And our city will be magnificent in 10, 15 years' time. Same goes for the Business Association. Kevin there says, look, there's a lot happening. There's a lot that needs improvement, but there is a lot happening. But Richard Quest, who came as a tourist and said, well, it's a bit drab, a bit drab downtown. Who do you side with here? 0818 96 96 96. 
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, you'll remember a few months ago uh, on The Opinion, I spoke to Leona Birmingham. And Leona was one of a number of parents whose babies died. And those babies' organs were taken from CUMH and sent to Antwerpen, Belgium, where they were incinerated without their parents' knowledge. Uh, and baby Lee died on the 18th of September 2019. And they commissioned, at CUM, CUH commissioned a review into this in May of 2020 to establish what happened. And this is now May of 2022, and Leona, you still don't know what happened, do you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for talking to us. Um, no, we are still none the wiser as to how it happened or why it happened. Um, the review is still ongoing at the moment. Um, so the latest update we received was that the review team are now seeking legal advice. Mm. So there um, hasn't even just... been a, even a draft report, has there? So this is the first draft report we're waiting on and they have sought some legal advice on that. Um, it's just beyond shocking that has come back to legal concerns. Um, we would have thought that they would have sought legal advice, I suppose, back in May 2020, not when the first draft they're saying is now complete, but we can't see it until they seek legal advice. Mm-hmm. Have they? Mm-hmm. Like, do they communicate with you, Leona, or do you have to go looking for information? Um, they communicate when it suits them, really. So, um, I mean, we have I have sent an email, and I've been three weeks waiting back for a response, um, and um, we all get the same email, really copied and pasted, where our names changed. Um, so, I wouldn't say the communication is great. No, mm. it was a few months ago when we first talked. After you uh, took part in in a horrific RTE documentary about this. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, telling it all again had, I suppose, reopened all the wounds again. And mm-hmm. I, I, I suspect that every time you have to write another email saying what, what's happening, it opens those wounds again. Yeah, well, to be honest, it never leaves us. I mean, we're living this nightmare. It's the last thing I think about before I go to sleep. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. Um, we have been through a nightmare. Like, it's it's just an emotional roller coaster, really. Um and just to know that there's another 17 families going through all these emotions with us. Um, it's just a really, it's an everyday struggle. It's not just something that when it becomes public, um, we're hoping that the public, being public about it will keep the pressure on the review team and on the hospital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is an everyday nightmare for us. What is it are the questions you want answered, Leona? Is it why this happened? Who authorised it? Are those the kind of direct questions you want answered? Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly that. I mean, like, we have been here before. It's not like this is this is something new. I mean, um, we all know about the organ scandal way back in yes. the early, in the 90s, and they set up Parents for Justice. Um, I mean, there was, in 2009, there was a Willis report the Willis report was published and they condemned the practice of hospitals incinerating organs. 
um, these reports were, were published by the HSE and this just makes it clear that lessons were not learned. Um, back when the Madden report was published well over 16 years ago, Mary Harney promised to enact uh, legislation which was called for in the report, um, but we're still waiting for that legislation 16 years later. Mm. And now more families have to relive this nightmare. Um, like, we need this to end now. Like, I can only imagine what the mother families are feeling right now, hearing of more families going through this. Yeah. Um, it, it's not fair. I mean, our government need to stand up and take action now. Mm, you... You and a, a, another group of parents are now planning a protest outside CUH in June. Yeah, we're planning a protest on June the 11th um, outside the CUMH, hoping that we can put pressure on the hospital and um, hoping to speed up this process. Yeah. you you've. I think when we talked before, you, you were just... In bits after watching the documentary, I guess, and and, mm-hmm. and taking part in it, now I I sense that you are still in bits. Obviously, you and Glenn are still in bits about this, mm-hmm. but you've kind of started researching and researching and researching into the history of this case. Yeah, yeah. As I said, like it it doesn't leave my mind. It doesn't it doesn't go away. I mean, I can't just close this book and walk away from it. It's something that. I really strongly feel um, needs there needs to be changes right now. Um, it, I mean, we're living with it every single day. Um, and the hospital, um, there's no com- compassion shown to us grieving families. Um, we, we want to be able to grieve for our son Lee without thinking about his organs or how it happened, where it happened, why it happened. Um, we just want this nightmare to end and to be able to grieve our son in peace. Mm. Do you um, want, and the longer it's going on. Do you want somebody, whether it'll ever happen or not, of course, do you want somebody to, to sit in front of you and say, Leona, I signed off on that and I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah. That, do you know what? I mean, but going back reading the reports before, um, that uh, that's one thing that came across. Um, the, inqui- like the inquiries found that there has been no accountability for one individual appeared to be responsible for the performances in the hospital. So no one has been held accountable um, ever, really. Mm. Um, and I can completely understand that human errors made and this and that, but it can happen again and again and again. Um, that That's just not acceptable. And I, that's what I'm hoping that now is the time to change it. We need this to change now in 2022. We need to enact the correct legislation and we need the help and the support of our government. I mean, we never want to hear of another grieving family having to go through this nightmare because mm. our government failed on a promise they made 16 years ago. You're, you're, you're a beautiful boy who would be coming up for four in September. How's his, how's his twin? How's Lewis? So there'll be three in September. Oh, three, sorry. He's, yeah, he's flying. He'll be starting preschool in September, which I suppose every milestone for us is a bit bittersweet. Um, I mean, we're so happy that we have Lewis and he's happy and healthy and starting preschool in September. But we know he should be hand in hand in, with his twin brother going in the doors to preschool. Um, and like that, we want to be able to enjoy all the, the moments and grieve for Lee and be happy for Lewis but not with this hanging over us. Yeah, all right. 
Leona, we'll talk again, I have, I have no doubt, and we'll talk in or around the 11th of June for sure. Um, thanks uh, for being with me again. That's Leona Birmingham. 0818 96 96 96. I said this last year, or when we ever we spoke last, and I stand over it. Somebody signed off on this. Somebody put their name to it. Why is that person still in a job? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Referred to Cork in one line in an Irish Independent interview in which he said, Some of the places look tatty. I thought that in Cork. I loved the English market, but the buildings looked tired downtown. This morning I took a walk. I walked from the Grand Parade, from the bus stops there, up to 96 FM, and then went down the, the left hand side of Patrick Street as you go up. I would have to say that from the, say from just below the Savoy up, and I guess if you were down further, but that left-hand side of Patrick Street is nothing to be writing home about at the moment. So on that score, I would have to agree with Richard Quest. Lord Mayor Cullum Kelleher, you weren't available earlier to us. You are now. Thanks for being with me on the opinion line. You don't agree with me and you don't agree with Richard Quest. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And I suppose, look, first off, just congratulations to the car curlers. Great performance yesterday. Indeed. Um, you know, um, a, a great performance over the last two matches. No, look, um, can you hear me? Yes. Sorry, the line cut off there. No, I don't agree with him. I think it's, I think it's harsh, to be quite honest with you, PJ. Um, obviously, we do have issues on Patrick Street. We do have issues on North Main Street. We do have issues in other, other parts of the city. But like any other European city, um, there's a lot of good news stories as well. Um, I'm only back from Ravenna. We were over there lobbying for the EMD, which is European Maritime Day. Um, and Ravenna was absolutely beautiful um, in the old old centre of the town, which dates back to the uh, old Roman Empire, but once you got outside towards the conference centre, it was fairly run down and fairly grabby. You know, we were actually walking into the conference um, over there, myself and a few officials from Cork City Council. They were actually cutting the grass in front of us on the way into the uh, event centre as we were as we were walking in there. Um, you know, so you know, I've been have the privilege of representing our city all over the world uh, in my term during my morality, and uh, from what I have seen, um, we're not doing too bad. To be quite honest with you, I do. I do take the point that there is issues, um, but like 
when you look at the city as a whole, like we have the Grand Parade quarter with the money ring fence for that, over 124 million. Mm. The walls will be coming down in Bishop Lucy Park. You'll be able to walk straight from the Grand Parade yeah. all the way to the back of Beamish and Crawford, which the public realm is being done there at the moment for the infamous event centre, which is making grounds now. And mm. we'll probably hopefully have that up and running by 25. That goes all the way to Counting House Plaza, down to Proby's Quay. Mm. You look at um, the North Docks, where the train station is, um, and the Dean Hotel. You know, you walk over there. You could confuse it with, you know, Manchester or any modern European city like that. Um, you look you look down at um, Fitzgerald's Park, absolutely amazing. You've the regional park in Balancholic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. you look at Princess Street. Sure, you look sure, at all those. Sure, there is good news stories. You're, you're, like you're correct on every single point you've made there. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm here trying to disagree with any of you because at the same time, Richard Quest landed here as a tourist and found himself on our main thoroughfare. And like any other tourist, he had a limited amount of time. And all the things that you talk about for the future are indeed all the things that are wonderful now. But our main thoroughfare lets us down badly, Lord Mayor. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. Patrick Street has been... I don't disagree. Patrick Street has been an eyesore for a number of years. Patrick Street aesthetically, from the public realm's point of view, i.e. footpaths and seatings and stuff like that, is absolutely amazing. We've had problems with vacancy um, on Patrick Street. We've had, we've had problems with dereliction over shops on Patrick Street, um, which is very similar on North Main Street as well, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but if you look at Patrick Street as a main thoroughfare and you compare it to any other European city, as I said, I was in I was in Venice and Ravenia, I'm only back from a conference, um, the main thoroughfare in Venue is suffering the same problems of vacancy. You have big multinational companies, the likes of Tommy Hilfiger, the likes of, you know, we, we all saw what happened with Debenhams, uh, anchor tenants for argument's sake in the likes of the Rocha Store building. And once they go, it leaves a massive vacuum and a void, and it's very hard for that to be filled again. Um, now, I... I I do believe that, uh, you know, online shopping and stuff like that from the major retail outlets has affected their passing trade, not only in Patrick Street, but if you look at Grafton Street in Dublin, uh, Tommy Hilfiger have pulled out of there completely. Um, well, Grafton, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, rates don't But they're help. serious. There's, rates there's are serious too expensive. There's, I, I agree with you 100% and that's something that you know I've brought up and many uh, of my colleagues in council have brought up before as well um, but vacancies on main thoroughfares in European cities is it's not unique to Cork um, you know I had to laugh because while I was away um, you know we saw the beautiful plaster and paint come down off the old Victoria Hotel to display this beautiful limestone building and the narrative was look how beautiful this is and look how beautiful in addition to our beautiful city centre and less than 48 hours later, because of the remark of a CNN journalist, um, the narrative has swung in its head. You well, know? well hold on now, while, Lord Mayor, be fair here. I saw that job and I saw those photographs. And as I was making my way up Patrick Street this morning, because knowing we'd be talking about this, I deliberately got the bus in so I could take a wander. That new facade or that clean facade is fantastic. But less than two minutes walk away, I'm looking at boards, graffiti, do you know? It lets yeah, it down. Than two up minutes walk, uh, yeah, and less than two minutes walk away in the other direction, you're looking at a vibrant Oliver Plunkett Street. You know, so, you know, it has to be taken in checks and balances, PJ. It has to be fair. I'm not saying our city is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's not Disneyland. 
Um, and, you know, if you look at what has been invested in Cork over mm. the last number of years um, and what is coming, like for argument's sake, just to list, list off, we've Grand Parade Quarter, we've the County House Plaza, Bishop Lucy Park, Proby's Quay, the North Docks, as I mentioned, the Victorian Quarter, which has been named the VQ, um, and, you know, you've like some Curtin Street there, Patrick's Quay, mm. um, you look at the old PGO Hay building, there's, a, there's plans for a hotel to go in there. Um, the Cold Cay has been revitalised, you know, the Marina Park, which we opened yesterday with the Taoiseach, um, a massive amenity. Um, Docklands, there's 366 million ring fence for that. Um, you know, you look at Oliver Plunkett Street, Parnell Place, mm. even the South Mall, the, infra- the infrastructure uh, upgrades for the cycle so lanes. What plan is that? what plan is there in, in the middle of all of that to clean up drab, dismal-looking Patrick Street? So, like, there isn't an, an inner core committee for Cork City that would meet, the Rapid Committee, um, and they're constantly looking at that. Now, like, the, the, the buildings on Patrick Street, a lot of them are in private ownership, and it's the same in North Main Street. There's a lot of dereliction in North Main Street. There's no getting away from that. Um, but there is an onus on the landowners and the buildings owners to keep their building. Like, Cork City Council can't be out power washing every building in the city. It's just we don't have the means nor the funds to do that. Well, you have the means. But you have the machines. You know, I've seen them. You, know, you have the machines. Oh, I, know, but I, I understand, but it's not, it's not, it's not down to Cork City Council to wash someone's glass. Hang on a while now, Colm. Let's, let's call a spade a spade here. City centre businesses pay colossal rates to the city. You've admitted that yourself, Tim. The rates are Completely. huge. So surely in return for those rates, could they not get an old power wash? PJ, I grew up inside my grandmother's furniture shop in Perry Street, and I can remember every Saturday washing the windows myself inside there. There's, a, there's an onus on business owners. I'm a business owner myself, and I pay rates in Ballancolic and inside in the city, and I wash my own windows. So, like, you know, I agree with what you're saying 100%. Rates are astronomical, and I, yeah. I think the rate system in this country is personally archaic. It dates back to the times when we were part of, of empire, yeah. and they do need to be overhauled. But, you know, in fairness, like, we are out. If, like, if you if you saw Oliver Plunkett Street, let's say at about half five on a Sunday, on a Monday morning after, after a weekend, a busy weekend, our cleansing crews are out in force. Doing a remarkable job. That place, the hardest working people job. in the city. And I said it, I've said you know, it many, and, many and, times. Many, and by the time, times. and by the time the foot, by the time the footfall comes out at eight o'clock in the morning, you, you, you're oblivious as, as to what was there the night before. And sometimes it's left in yeah. in, in, in rag Absolutely. order. Absolutely, you know? no, you're not wrong. Like, you're I not would, wrong. I would, I would look. I can see what I can see. Richard Quest Point, but he came out and he turned right out of the English market. But if he came out and turned left and walked down Oliver Plunkett Street, he could be saying something very different. But as a tourist, you know? as a tourist, he's entitled to turn whatever way he wants. I'm one hundred percent. I'm not saying that. But like as I I touched on it there. We're very co- uh, confident we can bring European Maritime Day to Cork. We had it in 2020. We lost Good. it on account of COVID. And one of the committee was speaking to me, one of the adjudicating committee was speaking to me on how clean Cork was, how compact Cork was. Like we're bringing the OECD conference here in June and they referenced the very, very same thing. Like if you look at oh, the yeah. regeneration... No, very clean. In, I mean, the, the, like you said, the cleaning crews in the morning, and I've often spoken about them here on a morning after a big weekend, like a festival or or a GA weekend when everyone's out watching games to come in on a Monday morning and wander up and see the work being done or being or even finished by the time I get in is remarkable. But again, like for example, something that's also coming in and the comments are hugely in favour of what Mr. Crest, Crest has been saying. I may tell you, Lord Mayor, like, do you feel? Would you feel safe walking around Patrick Street a uh, day or night? 
I personally would. I know a lot of people wouldn't. Um, you ask me a question to myself, do I personally feel safe? Yes, I do. But like any city, you know, there is challenges. There is, um, like any city, there is challenges. Um, you know, we saw the, the, the video of what happened in McCurtain Street there oh. last week, um, which was absolutely appalling, um, and which I would hope is an isolated incident up there. Um, the city is transforming. The city is changing. There's a lot of investment coming to the city. We're going to be the fastest growing city in the Republic over the next 20 years. Our population is set to double. Um, I have no doubt... Uh, PJ and a lot of your listeners and texters may be sending in, you know, the likes of Main Street is dereliction. Blackpool. Several messages about Blackpool. And Blackpool is going to be part of the CMATS plan. There's going to be a new train station going there. Um, there's um, money, 25 million was just invested for the north side roads. Uh, Councillor uh, Tony Fitzgerald and Councillor John Sheen and Councillor Damien Boylan were, were, were pivotal in getting that money across the line for um, and resurfacing works have started um, from the Commons Road up and in. Um, like Blackpool was neglected over the last number of years. There's no there's no reason to try to beat around the bush. Mm. You look at the Docklands, completely neglected. Um, and I believe that underinvestment in our city has happened. And like as I said, I grew up inside in Perry Street. I can remember when there wasn't an empty shop in Patrick Street, and it was vibrant and bustling. And unfortunately, it has declined. And there's no getting away from it. Yeah. Well, my point is, yes, it has declined, but we've stopped that decline now. And now we have to turn and start pushing right. back the other way right. to bring it back and right. reimagine it. It's going to be a long. It's going to be a long process. It's not. There's no magic wand here, um, but in relation to North Main Street, and I said I would come back to it, there is a lot of dereliction there. There is a lot of vacancy up over shop where, where traditionally people would live over their shops. That doesn't happen mm. in Cork anymore. We have old buildings. We started um, to do it regulated. and then stopped. You know? We had it. We had we a did, plan in the nineties and then stuff. We did. Yeah, several did. calls the about the, fire, the, fire, the issue there is fire, fire safety, oh, um, yeah. and and all a lot of people may disagree with me, but the way they got around it in the US and the likes of New York and and, and the Bronx is they have external fire escapes out the front of the building that make them safety compliant. Yeah, now, yeah. Look, there's there's for and against that. Like Sev you know? several calls coming in about begging people sleeping in doorways, uh, in duvets, begging, using and abusing drugs and alcohol in every street mm. corner. You know, you said yourself that you would feel safe and you're entitled to say that. Personally, so would I in certain parts of the city. There are also parts I wouldn't go to. But it's dirty in there and we just clean it up. I know you said it's up to businesses to clean up their own Front shop front. I I would argue. With no, I'm talking about their glass now. Or right, right outside their shop door is is Cork City Council's shop. Right. You know what I mean. And we are doing that. Like you know, right even right up to the the threshold of their business. But for Cork City Council to be out washing people's windows is just it's we we don't have the facilities to do that. Like you know what I mean. We don't yeah, have it yeah. in our budget. You know. Yeah. And um, we've one of the largest budgets of any local authority in the country outside of Dublin. Dublin is about a billion per annum. We're we're, we're almost a half a billion. Um, but which is correct for the size of the city we have. But we do have an expanded city. We've now Ballancolic, Glanmire, yeah. you know, uh, and expanded Douglas. And if you saw, like, you know, the the work that's been done at local area committee meetings by all councillors mm. from all uh, political divides, there the work that's been done out in Bishopstown uh, in relation to, you know, um, Murphy's Farm in Ballancolic, Tremor Valley Park. There's a, there's a new footbridge coming out there. You know, um, the the cleanup is happening. I'm not for any sense of the minute disagreeing with that there yes there are parts of the city that are derelict there mm. are parts of the city and that the are unfortunate shattered. thing but there's is there's a lot more agreed. there's a lot more 
the unfortunate part of it, I think, and maybe it's something that the council as a body of men and women, and I know that you probably are already, um, look at the areas that the tourist sees first. And one of those is going to be Patrick Strait. And I'd put it to you, Lord Mayor, and I said this to Kevin from the Business Association earlier on. There was a time when I used to love O'Connell Street in Dublin. I just thought there was something lovely about it. It's a kip now. And I don't want to see, and I'm sure you don't either as a Corkman, I don't want to see the main street of my beloved city turning into a kip like O'Connell Street. I don't either. Um, I haven't been to O'Connell Street in a while, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm a home bird. Um, I think Cork is far better than Dublin, <laughs> to be quite it honest is, with you. A lot, a, lot, a lot of your listeners, you know what I mean? Um, but, like, I agree with you 100%. There is issues on Patrick Street. But take the Savoy, for, for argument's sake. Um, I can remember long ago when you could go in the door of the Savoy, you had Hills news agents yeah. on your right, um, you had Quills on your left, you know, you went in there, you had Hickey's, you had Mary Rose's Cafe inside there. It was it was, it was brilliant. You could walk out the back. And then in later years, you had champion sports in there. And then there was a nightclub there and, and so forth and so on. That's been redeveloped at the moment. There is big plans for the Savoy to bring it back out of its vacancy. Um, you go up to uh, the Queen's Hall Castle. We can all remember what that was like years ago. Um, there's, there's planning applications going in on that as well. You look at what Cleary did in the capital, which swings right back tr- around the English market, back onto Patrick Street. Um it is, it is, it is coming. It's sad that it's happened. Um, there is issues, you know, on all sides. I'm not saying Cork City Council or even the elected reps have got everything right. Mm. They haven't, 100%. Um, from a business point of view, um, and being a businessman myself, I personally don't agree with the Panaban. I never have. Um, I think it's 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 not been implemented uh, correctly, but that's no onus on Nungarda Shea who have to implement it because of bylaws passed by Cork City Council. Um, but like I look at that main thoroughfare, and I remember it as a young fella coming off Perry Street or, or up Drawbridge Street and onto the top of Pana, the place used to be bustling. Absolutely bustling, um, and I believe that there's there's no reason in the god earthly world why we can't accommodate everything in the public realm there, from public transport to bicycle lanes to to people uh, to set down areas for the likes of pharmacies or for loading. But any businesses on Patrick Street will tell you that that has affected them. Um, and I'm sure you know the likes of Paddock Conlon, the English market when it first came out there, he was saying that you know between four and six, the, it, it it kind of you know falls off a cliff. You know, and these and to and to back that point up, BJ, these people are paying rates, yeah. um, and I personally feel they're being penalised. Now, I know a lot of my elected reps in Cork City Council would completely disagree with me on that. I remember the row. I remember the row, Colm. Yeah. Do you know? And I think you you were a county councillor at the time, <laughs> so. Uh, you were so a long time, a long time ago, you yeah, know, know. It's a long yeah. time ago. But look, PJ, look. Obviously, we do have a long way to go. But yeah. I would just the, the main message I wanted to get out is because I was reading the article yesterday in the Cork Bureau, and I was saying, my God, if anyone looked at this, they'd avoid us like the plague. You know, we have an awful lot to offer people. We mm-hmm. have the Science Week is coming down the Fitzgerald's Park soon enough now. It's going to be the largest exhibition since the 1902 exhibition oh, yeah. in the city. It's, it's, you know, we have, um, we had Seafest, um, which will hopefully be coming back. COVID through a kibosh and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, look, Alder Dormus were a major international um, uh, financing company. They're, they're, they're one of the world's biggest hedge funds. They, they supply funding to large corporations mm-hmm. and they've really located, they've located their European capital to up by the airport and I went up there to open it with uh, a minister a number of months ago and their main CE who was over from uh, California, he said, he goes, the main reason we chose 
chose Cork and not Dublin is you can be in the English market at five o'clock on a Friday evening mm. and at half six you can be fishing in Kinsale. I know. So it's the quality of life. I look, you that, know that, what? That I, I, as I said, know? I find it hard to disagree with you, but I also find it hard to do with your quest. You know the number of people, it's funny, every time we talk about the city centre and about Patrick Street, the number of calls that come in about people who hate. I can't, now I, I, I like them, I always did like them. The, 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 the Beth Galley, Barcelona style lights. <laughs> A lot of people don't like them and never did like them, um, but they're there to stay, I think. For now, anyway, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, I was I was a dissenting voice. I won't give my opinion. I won't. I won't give my opinion on those lights. <laughs> oh really? Because I will. I always liked them. Uh, look, beauties in the eye to behold, the PJ, isn't it? <laughs> Go on. We leave it there. Thanks very much, Lord Mayor, uh, for being with us on the opinion line. There you go. That's uh, Lord Mayor Colum Kelleher. Yeah, the buildings, the pavements, the the granite. There's a machine to the granite, slippy pavements. You could, I could keep the Lord Mayor here till one o'clock, let alone twelve o'clock. But the things that people are bringing in. But look, he stands by his, he stands by his view that the comments of Richard Quest were a bit harsh. Uh, that's exactly what the Kevin from the CBA was saying as well. Pages and pages and pages and pages of comments agreeing with Mister Quest. Although, although. It breaks my heart to see Cork City looking so derelict and neglected. It could be beautiful. Enhance the interaction with the river. Preserve the old buildings. So many run-down areas. Blackpool is an example. But then Anne says, it's not all bad. You could easily spend two days exploring Nanonagel Place, Elizabeth Fort and St. Finbar's Cathedral, which are all nearby. Northside and St. Anne's and the Bells, you're not wrong. Caller says, I think Patrick Street will be beautiful in a couple of years. You have the restoration of the Victoria Hotel, then the extension of Pennies, and the Devlin's building will hopefully be bought and developed very soon. With no city, says this other call, our main street has gone with so many empty buildings, there's no small shops to tempt you in between the sorties into the high pressure big shops. But the main thing you notice is everything is dirty. The paving stones are dirty. The granite slabs are dirty. The wooden slats they put on some of the granite slabs are dirty. The tree places are dirty. The flower beds are dirty. Everything owned by the corpo is just dirty until there's a visiting royal. Don't talk to me about security in the city centre. You'd want to be mad to open a one-man shop there. That's harsh. That particular comment, that is harsh now because I come in in the morning and I see them, particularly when I'm on a bus, I, I see the lads just finishing up their shift and they work like Trojans from sunup to get the streets ready for us. So, yeah, and you'd often see them power hosing and washing down. But people are talking about the ground, yeah. The ground is dirty. You're right. No, 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 you're, I, I'm getting that all right. I'm getting that all right. It's not just the picking up of litter. The street, the ground, the, the granite is dirty. No doubt about that. The stone slabs, it's absolutely filthy. That is true. That is true. Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. Vomit, drink, and other such unmentionables. Which isn't littered. No, no, that's that's true. That's true. I, I, I do. I, I, I can see that too. I can see that. I can see that. God, this is a busy one. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I think I might have been missing a point there that some people were making, and thanks for clarifying it for me, Fergal. It's the dirt, the actual embedded dirt on stone, granite, paving, slabs, everywhere. Corners of buildings, in between the cracks and the pavements, the, you know, the normal dirt and filth and walked in gunk that is there that the lads in the morning don't have the resources to pick up. It's the, they take away the litter, but what's left afterwards, there's the point. I missed it for a bit. They take away the litter and they do their level best, but what's left is just manky anyway. Yeah. Valerie uh, was on with a voice note to 083 396 PJ, I'm absolutely furious I'm listening to the Lord Mayor there. They don't have the means to power wash the buildings. Honest to God, what planet does he live in? Yet they're building uh, the dock bands and they have millions to pour into that. He's living on cloud nine. A power hose is what the city needs and that little street cleaner going around and zero tolerance for drug addicts. You can't even go into the city. I'm sitting here. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. They're going on the kitchen and I swear to God, no PJ, they're living in cloud cuckoo land cuckoo they have no concept of the ordinary everyday people who are going into town using the shops they're non-existent people are not going in there first of all they're too scared and secondly the place is shabby it's horrible i was down i went into mcdonald's there last week my daughter it was too busy we went down by the gpo if you look at the bottom of the building in the gpo it's covered in vomit 
gawk, you name it, a power hose wouldn't go straight there. You can't even sit on the blocks and put your bag down. The streets are manky. I was up in Shandon the other day and there was tourists with a leaflet in their hand looking into the Butter Exchange building wondering what's going over there. And they tapped my shoulder, excuse me, is this building open? I said, I'm sorry, it's closed at the moment. That building is closed for years. There was a heritage centre in there, gone. The building down at the end of Shannon Street, where that lovely little uh, pub was, the left bank, gone. That building, he's talking about 20 years' time, that building is locked up and there was a taxi place. There was actually a taxi dermis there years ago because I knew the man who owned it. All that building is neglected for years and years and years. They want ordinary, everyday people to run the city that are actually living in the city. Thank you, Valerie. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Jackie was on. Hi PJ, it's too late for Cork City. It is as bad as O'Connell Street in Dublin. It is derelict. It is unattractive to go into. It is neglected by City Council and they can take a bow on it because they've made a bloody good job of neglecting it. Like they have with a lot of the city. So, you know, they can talk all they like and spout out both sides of their mouth, but they made an absolute aims of it. Your thought, your thoughts, welcome. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I can't believe the comments from the Lord Mayor. I think what it says all about the ambition of the council is they have some scheme to tart up empty buildings with vinyl banners and sticky stickers. They need to knock heads together and create profitable opportunities for real businesses, not fake displays. PJ, the learned journalist, must not have seen the lovely new car park that replaced the sextant pub, a beautiful symbol of a city rising, not. Maria, it's a pity that for being the second city, Cork City looks city centre looks old, dirty and neglected. It's great to see the new dining and pedestrian areas around Princess Street, but it loses its value when you walk around the other parts. Fanula says the walkway to and from the train is disgusting. Badly needs fumigating. It's an embarrassment, says Fanula. Get rid of all the plastic over the doorways. Make it compulsory that if you open a shop on the main thoroughfare, there has to be proper old-school shop frontage. PJ, I prefer to go to Mahan Point or Wilton or Blackpool, all free parking. When you go to town now, it costs a fortune for the multi-stories, plus Patrick Street and North Main simply not safe. That says Brian. It may breaks my heart to see Cork City looking so derelict and neglected it could be so beautiful. Enhance the interaction with the river. Preserve the old buildings. So many run-down areas. And Blackpool is an example. And this last one for now from Helen. Helen says, I was in the city centre yesterday, stuck in traffic. I didn't even get out of my car. It's not just the city looking tired. The people walking around look tired. And the zombies lying in doorways with designer shoes and clothes. Give me a break. Law and order is gone. Cork should lose its city status. It's just a dump now. There should be a good restaurant in Merchant's Quay like they had years ago. And another thing, what happened to Kinsale? Another town that has given up. Shabby buildings, overpriced, crap food. The place has had its day. Kinsale, wake up. It used to be a place with a buzz. I might as well go to Budavant, says Helen. Okay, Helen, tell us how you really feel. 0818 96 96 PJ, I'm absolutely furious and listening to the Lord Mayor there. They don't have the means to power wash the buildings. Honest to God, what planet does he live in? Sorry, Valerie, didn't know that. I didn't know I'd lined you up there to go again, which I hadn't done. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Jerry McAvoy played, recorded and toured with Rory Gallagher for 20 years, playing on every solo album that the legendary guitarist ever released. Jerry brings his band of friends to the Oliver Plunkett on Friday, September 23rd for a night of Rory's classics. Access all areas. Samuel Levack is a London-based artist who often collaborates with Jennifer Lewandowski. Their practice spans film, performance, photography, text and music and explores themes of utopia and spiritualism. His exhibition, The Earth Like Tea, is running at the Sirius Arts Centre in Cove. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. Sometimes celebrities make the headlines for the most bizarre comments. James Corden, Late Late Show presenter. Uh, American Late Late Show, not her one. James Corden was talking about residents of Los Angeles because they were told to cut the time they spend in the shower to save water. He says he's only in and out in three or four minutes. But he doesn't wash his hair. He said he washes his hair every two months. Now, the man has a fine head of hair. He only washes every two months. I only have a little bit of hair. And that is deliberate, admittedly. I'd wash it every day if I could, because just to make it feel right. But it raises the question, how often should you wash your hair? Pamela from Sobey Brown. Hey, Pamela, how are you? Hi PJ, how are you? Oh, you know, I only have the makings of a bit of moss on my head at the moment because I deliberately keep it that way in the summer. But I still have to wash the head every day or two or it starts to feel a bit sticky. How does he go how does he go two months without washing his hair? Can you do that? Well, well you can. You can do anything you want, really. Like he sounds like a very busy man to say that he can't put an extra minute into the shower to wash his hair. Um, I would say, really, that's just kind of a little bit of laziness. There are people who make the choice naturally to go kind of um, product free and chemical free and they don't wash their hair. And it is a process and it takes a bit of commitment, but it's more of a lifestyle, PJ. Um, You can do it and the, the scalp does regulate itself to suit that you have to go through a bit of a period of greasiness and dirtiness yeah. but the scalp eventually regulates itself but you you should really be washing your hair every two to three days um, in, in, in this society you know like it just feels better on your scalp it's actually very important unless you're after making that big commitment it's very important to keep your scalp clean Mm. Um, if if you don't, it the the oil in your scalp kind of builds the residue from the day builds, and your scalp doesn't get enough oxygen or stimulation. Really, mm. you know what I mean. So you have to you have to wash your hair every three to four days to keep it fresh. Now another thing is the scalp the scalp can get excessively oily, and a lot of people wash their hair like you like me. I like the feeling of my scalp being fresh and clean, and I like the feeling of. Um, the shower, I feel woken up, you know, it's part of my daily ritual, I feel woken up. But again, a lot of people are washing their hair every day to prevent oiliness. 
But the scalp, actually, if you wash the hair too often, the scalp can overproduce excess oil, creating oiliness. Um, So, yeah, to answer your question, two to three days is average. It keeps your scalp healthy and fresh and it allows it to balance out. But it's important what you wash it with as well. Because you remember when all the barbers were closed? And I mean, I would all year round, I wear my hair quite short and shorter again in the summer. But... I couldn't get into a barber and my hair grew to its natural length and I was in the shower every morning washing it because after a day and a half it just felt yuck, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's why women wash their hair really more often than men because it loses its shine, it loses everything. But you know, PJ, I've developed an oil. Um, I'm very fond of oiling your scalp naturally. So like... To oil your scalp is really, really important. I used to use things like coconut oil and jojoba oil to oil your scalp every day. I I make my partner, he's got very short hair through lockdown. I really concentrated on, I used him and my daughter as guinea pigs in lockdown. And I used to oil their scalp just to see what it would do. Um, oiling your scalp is really, really important. And I've developed an oil to oil your scalp every three to four days. The night before you wash your hair, you apply oil to your scalp, massage it in. It's an organic oil. It's called Sobe Brown Superfood Hair and Scalp Oil. You massage it in and it's it's 100% organic, so it has a transdermal effect, which means the scalp recognises it as safe and friendly, as it would with coconut oil, organic coconut oil, things like that. So it almost feeds it and it helps the scalp to rebalance, reproduce um, and look after itself the same way we look after our skin. We have to look after or scalp and you know that feeling of lankness that you would have gotten through lockdown it's because you probably didn't give your scalp enough time to rebalance itself so it kind of wasn't getting fed you know if so if you leave your scalp every two, two to three days to rebalance itself your body is producing all these lovely um the, all these new all these vitamins and minerals and things like that and they come out into the oil in your scalp and they they're nourishing your hair there, but you're not getting a chance to do that if you're washing it too often. Right. So the oil that I've developed has all this in it. You've put it into the scalp, comb it through the hair once or twice a week, the night before you wash your hair. And again, if, even if you're not going to get this oil, it's important to do that with coconut oil, jojoba yeah. oil, The thoughts, thoughts of going to sleep with oil in my head. I know it doesn't sound appealing, but this it's a very light oil um, and that's important. I was going to use argan oil in this oil, but it's a bit too heavy. Argan oil is very, very nutritious for the scalp as well, but it's a bit too heavy. So this goes through the scalp and through the hair. It's extremely light and it almost dries in immediately. Mm. Um, and you wash it out the next day, of course, but your own oil in your scalp, right? I know I've developed this oil, but your own oil in your scalp contains everything that your hair needs but we just don't have that commitment to get through the week without it without washing it and mm. um, so this does that job instead what about dry uh, so shampoo they, for people who don't want to wash their hair that often a dry shampoo is a spray that you can get now um and it's what it does is it absorbs the oil now they're not great either pj because what they do like makeup they coat the scalp and they stop the scalp from oxygenating itself, you know. So it's like having makeup on all the time and not taking it off. If you didn't, and that's the same with the scalp, actually. It's like having makeup on all the time, not taking it off. The scalp doesn't get daylight. It doesn't get air. Um, so dry shampoos are a great fixer-upper. And they're great to get out of jail free if you have a night out or if you want to extend your your 
blow dry or whatever, but they're not great for to get into a habit of because they do coat the scalp. And they kind of, a lot of the dry shampoos now, right, they have a wax in them and the wax almost, it sticks the hair together. So as you're combing your hair, PJ, if you've got a dry shampoo in it, you're almost ripping it apart. So you're creating split ends immediately. And you know what we're all after is to try, the aim really is for youthful hair is to have shiny hair. And the reason that the hair isn't shiny is because it splits. So the hair shaft, the cuticle, I know I'm getting technical now, but the hair shaft, the cuticle is like roof slates. It has to be going in the one direction all the time. So if you could imagine one of your hairs, it's like a drinking straw. And over that drinking straw are these roof slates, right? They, in a child's hair, they need to be closed. And they will be. In a child's hair, they'll be closed and sealed, which is why a child's hair is always shiny and it reflects light. As we get older, like our skin, those roof slates start to lift gently and we have to keep them sealed. The same way we have to use moisturizer for our face. We have to, we have to put the effort into keeping that naturally sealed by maybe not heat styling it so much and not um, and making sure that you're treating it and moisturising it. So the aim of the game really is to keep those hair shafts looked after and not broken, not ripped and keep them moisturised. And that the dry shampoo, to answer your question on that, rips that hair shaft the same mm. way overheat styling it does. It's dry shampoo will do the same damage over time as heat styling and maybe not looking after your hair. Now, the other the other thing that's very important is what you shampoo your hair with. I'm not just plugging hair salons now here, but if you buy a shampoo on the shelf, PJ, it um, has a very high pH balance. The scalp and the hair have a low pH balance. Mm. So on the shelf, if you're buying a shampoo, your hair and your scalp kind of have to defend themselves from it. Whereas when you buy a shampoo from a salon, we kind of have an ethical law um, that we we have an ethical law that we will only use products that are good for your hair, products with ingredients that are suitable and good for the hair and have the hair's care at its utmost. So a shampoo from a a salon will always nearly have a low pH balance. So if you're going, I, I know it's a bit more expensive, but what you wash your hair with is the same as what you wash your skin with. It can disrupt it terribly if it doesn't suit it. And wash it every two to three days because that commitment that James Corden goes through is very difficult. I get your point. Pamela, thank you very much. Pamela Morrissey from uh, Sobe Brown. The little bit of hair I have, it just gets a a, a lick and a spit every morning just to kind of, whoops, clean it off. Um, But yeah, thanks, Pam. 0818969696. Still stuff coming in about the state of the city. And what you think of it, for, and people saying, oh God, I'm knocking the city. I'm not. I'm actually not. I love my city. I just think that part of loving something is that you have to occasionally point out its faults too. 0818 A new book with two characters, all set around one day. Right? Two women, Ruth and Penn. Ruth is a woman whose marriage is on the verge of breaking up because they've got a real problem with infertility. And Penn is a teenager, an autistic teenager, who's falling in love with her best friend and has no idea how to deal with it. And they meet. They meet at a protest and they spend a full day together. The book is called Ruth and Penn. The author is Emily Pine. Emily, good morning. 
Good morning. There's nice to talk to you. Strains of, 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 of Ulysses for the 21st century here, but apart from that, two more different characters you couldn't ask for. Yeah, that's really the exciting thing as a writer, you know, is to bring opposites into connection with each other and to see how they play off each other. And Ruth, as you said, is in her early 40s and really at the point in her marriage of trying to decide, like this is the day, whether she works out if she's going to stay in her marriage or not, which is obviously a huge decision. And Penn's decision She's 16, as you said, and her decision looks kind of smaller in a way because she's working out how to tell her best friend Alice that she has romantic feelings for her. But actually, if you remember when you were 16, that feels huge, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's about these two women kind of navigating and working out what direction they want their lives to go in, you know? Mm. There are a lot of issues in both of the characters, uh, infertility in particular, an IVF and a miscarriage in Ruth's case. A lot of this is written, your, your first book was as a book of essays about your own personal, your own, your own personal story. A lot of this is very personal, Emily. Yes, it is. And a lot of these stories, you know, even though, I mean, I wrote about it in Notes to Self and I know, you know, there are other great memoirs as well, but a lot of these stories are still not appearing in fiction or they're appearing with, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of us who have not been able to have children find difficult, which is they appear, but with a happy ending, you know, there's a baby at the end. And I still wanted to explore the emotional terrain, even though I've I've moved on with my life. um, I still wanted to explore the emotional terrain of what do you do with your life when, when you don't get the thing that you really wanted, which is, and, and parenthood is a big thing. It's not like, you know, you didn't get a job so you can apply for another one. It's really, it changes your whole life trajectory. And the idea of just picking one day and thinking, okay, right, what does, what's one person's emotional life in that moment? The point that you made there a second ago is, a, is, is an interesting one. Like that when you, if you pick up a book and it's got a story in it and a character is struggling with with fertility and IVF and all that, inevitably the book finishes with them being pregnant and maybe even having a beautiful child, which sometimes, maybe for someone like you, for whom that was, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that was never going to happen, that most, that, that characterization is difficult for someone like you to process. It is, and I think, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I wrote about it in the memoir and where I'm continuing to do it in fiction. I mean... There's a particular kind of loneliness that comes with infertility because everywhere around you, you know, are people having babies and and I'm happy for them. It's fantastic, but it doesn't it kind of is also crushing, you know, for the person. And and so, you know, when I read those memoirs or those novels or short stories as well with babies in them, it's just it's just hard. It's just that recognition. And so what do you do with that? Like do you avoid everything? You know, do you cross the road when you see a person with a bump or do you just not read, ignore an entire section of the library? Or or for me, the my response is like, okay, maybe I'll write my own. And I have heard from so many people, both men as well as women, um, who read Notes to Self, who found their own stories reflected yeah. and said that they'd never read anything about it. Because the characterization that it all works out in the end, that's not true, is it? It's not real, you know, and I, I mean, it's the same also for Penn, as you mentioned, Penn is autistic. And 
so often the kind of representations that you see of the childless woman or the autistic child, and very often in fiction, it's only autistic boys that we see being represented. We see these characters, but they're on the edges. You know, they're not the kind of stars of their own story. And I really wanted to write as you know a, a childless woman as both a difficult and a sympathetic character you know someone who we can identify with no matter what our own family status is you can feel for Ruth and you can also feel for her husband Aiden who's a character in the novel too that you know I don't think men's feelings get explored very much around mm. this subject either mm. Mm. yeah it's true because I mean even and I say it here myself I, I've often spoken about infertility in, in on the program invariably it tends to be women uh, that that talk to me. I, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to talk to a man who's struggling with his partner with infertility, and and I, I don't think I've ever had that opportunity. Um, by the way, if anyone would like to talk to me about it, that'd be great. I think that would make a great program. You, you know, know, really, that's that's actually true. And the, the, the what? So the infertility the infertility is based on 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 your own experience. That would be roots roots storyline as it were. Where does pen come from? You you I think do you do you have dyspraxia yourself? Did you say at some point? I, I am. I'm dyspraxic, which is when I was a kid, it was because uh, obviously I'm in my 40s. So it's before we got kind of better understandings of neurodiversity. But when I was a kid, it was called clumsy child syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the name describes really what how, how it was diagnosed. I was just I'd, I'd bump into things a lot. I'm very poor spatial and um, poor is wrong. I find it challenging to deal with spatial planning and spatial awareness and as I've got older and actually so I grew up with that kind of not very nice label of being clumsy child and uh you know laughed at and stuff which is you know was the way um it was just I guess everyone's way of coping and then um when I was uh, became a teacher in a university in England and a student came to me and they had a dyspraxic diagnosis and they gave me their form and I'd never heard of dyspraxia and I read it and thought oh that's me and I looked it up and I looked into it and I realized okay that's what that that's a better name now for clumsy child syndrome and this so it's a great way of kind of updating it. So yeah, I drew on some of my own experience, yeah, my own bit, understanding of how it makes you different. It's a bit like I didn't know about clumsy child uh, that name, clumsy child syndrome, but but I yeah. do remember autism once being called, which was a horrible name for it, cold mother syndrome. So yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, that is a particularly cruel label, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think we have better understanding that there's a whole spectrum of diversity, right? And whether it's neurodiversity or gender diversity, just thinking about how we can be so much more open. And for me, as a writer, Penn as a character, she's just, it's not about disability for her. It's absolutely about the amazing creativity that she brings to her. There's very much a this is me sense to her. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And I was really inspired, you know, by other people's work. Um, Jodie O'Neill is a theatre maker and she has an incredible play called What I Don't Know About Autism. And she's she was diagnosed in her late 30s as autistic. And she says herself that like it made sense to her. And it was only because her, she, she saw a, a child getting diagnosed. So that was what led her to it. Yeah. And her whole life kind of made sense. And she made this extraordinary play called What I Don't Know About Autism. Yeah. And she now has recorded and read the audiobook for Ruth and Penn. So I was really inspired by her work. And then yeah. she's ended up being involved in mine. So, it's, I mean, I think there's a community of people who are 
have something at stake or who are interested um, and who want to who want to put more different representations, you know, on the page and on the stage and into the world. And you've chosen two of them for this book, Ruth and Penn. Emily, thank you very much. Emily Pine, she's a professor of modern drama at University College in Dublin. That's the day job. She was also a writer in residence at the National Maternity Hospital in another uh, part of her career. But there, her new book is called Ruth and Penn, all set in one day, which is unusual. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Who's your man, Maureen? That, um... <laughs> I knew you were going to go back to T- it. Tennis? Try, try it. Okay. I, <clears throat> <laughs> Deep breath. <laughs> Yoshihito Nishioka. Ah, uh, yeah. No, 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 no. He has an auntie in Dunamore, I'm sure of it. <laughs> the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And he's one of the players that Moraid and many other like her over there would be hoping gets knocked out in the first round of every tournament because they'll choke themselves with him. It's that time of the year. French Open tennis. And Wimbledon is next. And the Stella in between. Summertime telly. Uh, it's tennis and hurling. A bit of golf too, of course. 0818 and 96 96 96. On the subject of hair, I've heard of this. Um, and ask any Asian person, says this message, about scalp and hair oiling. Centuries old Ayurveda practices from India have been keeping our hair and scalp healthy and beautiful. Every family would have their own rituals passed down from generation to generation. You're not wrong there. You're not wrong. 0818969696. Now, there's a little bit of a COVID travel query. And I want to read this out now so that I don't forget it again because I forgot it on Friday and I want to do it now so I won't forget it again. Hi, PJ. We have a little dilemma here. My 15-year-old girl, who'll be 16 in August, got her second COVID vaccine back on the 28th September and contracted COVID this year at the end of February. We found it through an antigen test. Now, there's no certificate of recovery given for a positive antigen, only through a positive PCR. We're now due to travel to Spain at the end of July, and she doesn't have a cert of recovery to travel, and she can't get the booster until six months after recovery. 12 to 15-year-olds, but it's three months or 16 plus, which she nearly is. I see. My question is, would it be okay to get her booster early, as she's almost 16, then have her covered for the holidays? No, it's a long-winded question, but it's a head wreck trying to follow the guidelines. Far be it from me to give any advice on vaccination, other than I think everybody should have all the vaccinations that they need. I, I'd ask your doctor about that. She is very close to the 16, of course, and she'll only be within days of it when she's due to travel. I'd ask your doctor, and I'd be getting a, a, a more expert view from my doctor if I were you anyway. Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the number of 
accidents and indeed fatal accidents in the farming community. It's disturbing. And I guess here on a mostly city-based radio station, it's, it's not something that crosses the radar all that often. But when you look into it, it's, it's frightening the number of serious accidents and indeed fatalities that happen on farms. And there is a new organisation in place, a new program in place called Embrace, Embrace Farm. And Norma Rohan is a founder of Embrace Farm and joins me. Norma, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It is something that I guess as a city-based radio station, we don't possibly look at in enough depth until something turns up on the newspaper or on the main radio news. But there are quite a lot of serious accidents in the farming world and many of them fatal. There are. Well, I guess from a city, uh, for city people, I guess we're all not that far removed from, from a farming background, I guess, at the end of the day. And you know, we all eat food every day, three times a day. So we, we it is important that we keep our farmers safe. Mm-hmm. Um, the statistics around far, farming accidents, on average, there's about 20 farmers every year that will die in a farm-related uh, fatality. Wow. Um, yeah, Chagask do research every other year and they estimate that there are between 2,000 and 2,500 farmers being injured on our farms every year. Now, that's from a quite minor injury right up the whole opposite spectrum of uh, a life-altering um, severe injury um, that will have a huge impact on a farmer's life and that farm family. What's your own story, Norma? Well, my own story um, is almost 10 years ago this coming June, I was home from the hospital after having my first child and uh, the following day, the public health nurse came to visit and while she was in the house, an accident happened down the yard in our farm where my father-in-law was taking apart a piece of machinery and it fell apart and it hit him on the head and it knocked him and my brother-in-law to the ground. Mm. Now, they both got up from it and they both walked away from it, but within 40 minutes, um, my father-in-law had um, gone into shock. He'd received a a huge injury, a brain injury. Um, He was taken to hospital where he was placed on life support that evening and three days later those machines were switched off. Well, I'm sorry so our that. week that began with the birth of our daughter uh, ended with the death of Grandad. It oh was my. an awful week so. Mm. Oh my God, that was a terrible thing. That was a terrible thing to happen. It, it was an awful thing to happen. Um, and, you know, anyone, I guess, listening this morning, you know, they know how family and neighbours and your community, they rally around you when something awful happens. And the same happened just 10 years ago. You know, our, our neighbours and our community, they came to milk our cows and feed them and look after all that side of things for us and made the tea and did the car parking, did all of those things that we needed. Um, but over time, you know, all those people have to go back to their own lives and their own jobs. And I guess when we went to look for some type of support, um, it wasn't there to be found. Um, so hence Embrace Farm yeah. was set up in 2014. Tell me about it. What, who runs it? Is it all run by volunteers mm-hmm. or who runs it? So in 2014, you know, 
Brian wanted more for his dad than being one of those on average 20 people uh, a year die in farm accidents. You know, he, he like his dad to him was, was his mentor, he, his co-worker, his, his dad. Uh, he was also a husband and a granddad and, and, you know, very active in his community as well and well respected. He was a champion plowman. So we decided to start with a, a remembrance service where we would do a roll call of names and, you know, and, and name those people who had been died. They were important and meant a lot to their families. Um, when we put the word out in 2014 for families to contact us with names, we got an overwhelming response. Uh, and with that came a whole load of stories as well. Um, so in 2014, we held the very first remembrance service. Uh, we met widows, we met survivors of accidents, we met dads who had been operating machinery where their children had died. We met adults like my husband, Brian, who were grieving the death of their dad. Mm. And each and every one of them had a set of circumstances and a story that was was nearly worse than the next one. You know, widows with frozen bank accounts, no will in place, no life insurance um, you know, yeah. internal fallouts within families trying to deal with the business. So I guess once we heard all them, we felt we couldn't walk away. So then Embrace Farm was born from that and we set up a, a board of directors and um, I now work for the charity running day-to-day operations. Um, um, so we're seven years on now and we have recently received a pot of funding from the Department of Agriculture to allow us to bring in a new programme that we're calling In Circle that will allow us to expand to not just supporting farm families following the death of a farm accident, yeah. but supporting farm families in all types of sudden and traumatic deaths yes. in their family, yes. whether it's a suicide or a sudden medical event, you know, a, a massive heart attack. You're left with the same practical problems afterwards. You're left with the cows still to be milked, to be fed, the silage to be brought in, yes. the hay to be built. All those things have to happen. Mm. Yes, because if the farmer, well, the farmer may may have died, but like you said, the cows still need, need milking and, and the sheep still need shearing and all those things. They yeah. do, they do. You can't just put a sign up on the door saying the farm is closed, you know, the cows don't understand that. Uh, and I guess that's what our new programme is about then. It's about supporting farm families in the aftermath, about trying to pick up those pieces. Um, one, trying to emotionally support people. Uh, and then, you know, in particular widows or, you know, somebody who doesn't have a succession plan in place maybe or is wondering what will they now do with this farm? So there's a number of... Um, we have a number of avenues that we'll be able to go down with those families, uh, right. offering information, offering guidance. Now, we won't be telling anybody what to do with their farm Ooh. business. That, yeah. That's theirs to do as they wish with. But, you know, sometimes they, it's about just explaining information. And if you choose a certain path, there may be certain implications, for example, like tax or something yeah. like that, yeah. um, that may not have been foreseen. Because or, in, the case of know, a sudden, some... in the case of a sudden death or serious accident, Norma, I guess, you know, wills might not have been exactly mm. done properly or if done at all. Yes, that, that's quite possible. And IFAC have research out there that there's up to like 80% of farmers that don't have a succession plan in place. So when you have a widow with young children and she's deciding what's best for her now, will she keep the farm? Will she lease it? Will she sell it? What what will she do? And then she has her children to take into account. She probably has her in-laws living beside her as well. 
you know, and she's burdened with all of those opinions. Some will be welcome. Some may not be welcome. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, she's left trying to make those decisions that are best for her and her, her yeah. children going forward. A simple thing so like having, a, sorry to cut across you, having the spouse or partner as a signatory to the farming accounts because if the farmer dies and those accounts are just in, in, in his name or I guess in her name and not in the spouse's name, spouse has no access. Absolutely, they're the laws of our land. You know, until probate happens and a will, those bank accounts have to be shut down um, until a will is executed. So it would make life so much easier if, you know, uh, both um, partners uh, were unnamed on that bank account. Um, the, the remaining spouse would have access to pay bills, would have access uh, to an income. You know, like if you're milking cows, the milk check will still be paid into the bank account, but you can't access it right. if you're not named on that bank account. Um, yeah, so there, there are many consequences to... Um, and I guess nobody likes hearing the thing about you have to have your affairs in order. But if you're running a business and you you have a family relying on you, uh, and in most farm cases, they have more than one family relying on them. They probably have their parents as well as their own yes. uh, spouse and children. It is important to have, you know, some affairs in order, um, you know, in the eventuality of something happening to you uh, suddenly. Okay. Well, your website is impressive and easy to... Uh, navigate as well. I was looking at it there earlier on this morning. I wish you well with it, uh, Norma. Lovely. Thank you very much, um, PJ. That website is embracefarm.com if anyone wants to get in touch with us. And we have our annual remembrance service on the 26th of June. If anybody wants us to give a name of their loved one to be remembered, just get Um, in touch with us. And is that in person or virtual? It's both this year and we're delighted to have the families back this year in person uh, but we'll also live stream it because I think people are getting used to watching mass, mass on the telly now and everything so it'll be live streamed and it'll be on RTE the following Sunday the first Sunday in July uh, at the normal mass time slot. Well, remind us again when it's on and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll mention it when it's coming up. Thank you very much. That's Norma Rowan uh, the founder of Embrace Farm. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. The Shine Ladies Lunch takes place on Saturday the 11th of June at the Clayton Hotel, Cork City. A fabulous day filled with food, fun, music and more. There'll be a host of raffle and spot prizes on the day with dancing until 10pm. All proceeds from the event will go towards supporting the work of the Shine Centre Cork, supporting families and children on the autistic spectrum. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork's 96fm. Now, on this programme, more than once in the last number of years, we've uh, looked at the wonderful work done up at Cara Junior School um, for children who are on the autistic spectrum but who also have a mild to moderate learning disability. It's a wonderful school uh, in, in the services it provides, but they have had a run of bad luck lately, including vandalism on a lot of their equipment, and they're trying to fundraise to replace it uh, their principal is Colette Butler. She's principal of the junior school. And she joins me now. Colette, good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having us on. Delighted. We, we've talked about the school many times in the past, the, the wonderful work that you do and, and in the context of, I think, trying to get young young kids onto the next stage in their education. And every single parent has said the work of CARA and the services of CARA are phenomenal. But what happened? You had a break-in. We did. We did, unfortunately. And... Um, Several of our bikes and go-karts were damaged, so um, the wonderful staff, and I I really have to emphasise how wonderful the staff are, they organised a a bike run, a motorbike run, in order to raise some funds to replace our bikes, because, as you could imagine, school budgets don't stretch to this sort of thing, and um, our children get so much out of it. You know, they need exercise they need to self-regulate so they all absolutely adore if not a bike the go-kart or running around our little bike track which is fabulous so Mm. not to have that in use would be heartbreaking so um yeah it, it, it was frustrating because the bikes maintenance of them alone is hard enough to keep up with but uh, then to have them willfully damaged really was quite upsetting so Yes, that's the story today. Talk a bit more about the, the self-regulating. It's something that people mightn't understand with, with the kind of kids that go to Cara. Talk to me about self-regulating. What does that mean? Well, I suppose like children with autism, um, that they're being overloaded by everything around them, their senses and noise, the wind, and they need to self-regulate in order to get to the right place for their for their learning to take place. So for us to be able to teach them, we need them to be self-regulated. So into their schedules on a daily basis, we have a lot of movement breaks, exercise breaks. Now that for some children, it's outside on a bike. For others, they might just want to go to one of our sensory rooms and relax for a while. But either way, I, I think the physical exercise is so important because for some of our children, it, it's the, the parents, you know, it's hard sometimes to take them out in a public space because they, they, they may run, it may be too much for them. So at least in the safe environment of school, we can really facilitate that exercise part of their daily life. And, and for people who so, wouldn't understand it, Colette, explain the importance. Let's just pick a, a random name. Let's, let's say little, little Kevin. Uh, every day, Kevin has a particularly favourite thing that he needs to do. Now, for Kevin, that's essential because he can't get through his day of learning, his day of exercises. He can't get through that without doing, for argument's sake, cycling around the yard on the bike for 20 minutes. Kevin has to do that for Kevin. It's like Kevin's medicine. It's different. Absolutely. You've described it so aptly there, PJ, because as I said, until we're in a nice regulated space, we can't do any teaching and learning. We can't do the ABCs until we're in that right place. And so that exercise is vital because little, little Johnny has, he comes into school, we, we might do a little bit of group work, then he needs a movement break because that 10, 15 minutes sitting down still taking in something has just been too much. So then he needs that little movement break, be it the bike running around to, to bring him back to a, a better space. 
and then he can move on and do another little bit of learning. So that's the way our day is broken up. Obviously, our pupils are 12 and under, so we have a lot of 10, 15 minutes at a workstation doing the ABCs and then move out, a little movement break, regulate, calm down, back into the class. So that's the schedule of the day, really. Yeah, and the people... So it's vital. It's vital. People who broke in and damaged the equipment, they, they, they may have known, but they certainly didn't care how important it was for, for the kids uh, of, of Skull Carol. No, no. Uh, they sat back in no, the second. It, it, I can't... Yeah. I can't emphasise how vital these things are to us. And, and just Sure. Now, the 11th of June is when the bike run is on. Tell me more about that. The 11th of June, uh, we are having a big bike run. Okay. Hello? Yes, I've got you. Sorry. Okay, so, um, and I want to say a big thank you to the Middleton Bike Project who are stewarding it and who have organised the route. And all the bikers of Cork who are going to be involved because this has been a phenomenal phenomenal fundraiser for us yeah yeah like i have just been quoted 25000 for our for more equipment for our side that's on top of bikes this is for a swing a trampoline that needs replacing wow. some gym equipment so you can imagine how how vital this money is to us and yeah. what it can go towards and what joy it yeah. will bring to all those yeah. people's the, the self-regulating, how essential it is to Absolutely. their day. So there's it also is. a GoFundMe, uh, which I'll give out the name of in a minute. But Dunstores Bellevalan, half past nine uh, on the 11th, going to Mallow, Fromoy and back to the school. Absolutely, yes. And then we're going to, in the school, it, the bikers will have, we'll give them a cup of tea and a sandwich. And then later on that day, in District 11 in Glanmire, there's music and there'll be an auction of some of our bigger spot prizes from five to seven. Um, so it, it's just been phenomenal. And That's I really fantastic. want to say a huge thank you to all the participants and to the staff who have just taken this and run with it. It's unbelievable. Great. I know that one of the local councillors up there, Ted Tynan, was very good to you as well. He was indeed, yes. He called in to us the other day and he uh, has donated through the council uh, um, 500 euros. Again, when you're looking at the bill of 25,000, it all helps so much. It really, really does. Um, we, we're blown away. We really are blown away by the generosity of local businesses have been incredible. Okay. And people, I, I haven't name-checked people, but there have been some... Okay. That line is about to go on us, but, Colette, uh, thank you for that. I think we've got, I, I think we've got what we need. Um, the 11th of June, starting at Bellevalan, the Dunn Store Shopping Centre there, going out to Mallow and Fromoy and back to the school, and then an event that evening at District 11, raising money to replace the vital equipment and facilities destroyed by thugs who broke in on the 2nd of April to Cara. Thanks for that, Colette Butler, principal of Cara School. 0818 96 96 96. There is a meeting tonight, I believe, in the Middleton Park Hotel uh, to continue the ongoing campaign to keep Onakura 
open. And Mary Walsh, who we've talked to, of course, before more than once on the programme, everybody seems to have washed their hands of it now at this stage, Mary, but the campaign continues. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yes, uh, we're having a meeting this evening in um, the Middleton Park Hotel at half seven. And um, we're inviting um, uh, uh, everyone who's been involved with the campaign um, to date to the meeting, including um, public representatives and councillors, um, obviously people in Middleton, the residents themselves, the families. Um, we're particularly um, keen to um, invite people who would have previously availed of the respite service in Onakura. Mm. I don't know if you're aware, but the respite service would have um, been an essential part of the Onakura um, service in Middleton. But with COVID, um, uh, that service um, you know, was, was parked. And um, we're very conscious of um, a whole group of families out there who really relied and needed the service for their family member who have been I suppose struggling in, in you know in their in, in, in their lives um trying to manage as best they could with COVID. So we're very keen to make contact with those families and invite them along to the meeting to uh, I suppose to 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 reach out to the, to help them with the cam- in the campaign as well. We're also um, um, extending the invitation to uh, family families. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the family members of residents mm. in other in Cork City. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware of um, the other services like um, uh, in Garnish House. Yeah. There's another um, set of families there who have been in, we've had some contact with them and they're very concerned more than ourselves about uh, the current state of um, uncertainty and um, I just worry really about yeah. their families. The last time I met some of you was at the Taoiseach's office a few weeks ago when you handed in it, the petition and within hours uh, that was followed by the minister uh, saying that she would not be willing to intervene and subsequently she doubled down on that uh, but I think that the mood among your group is that we are not going away we are staying with this Well I, I think the situation is such that um, we know um, I mean we have objective um, um analysis now of um, different groups. For example, the um, the Iraqis Health Committee came down to the site visit. They visited yeah. uh, Onakura, they visited Glanmire. Um, they had uh, an architect in their number who um, has a specialism in um, health buildings and she was quite convinced that the yes. building was retrievable. So it seems to make absolutely no yeah. sense uh, at any level that, yeah. the, the, that, that we're talking about sure. notions of houses out in the community that are all very vague and mm. very um, unclear to, um, you know, the, as to the outcome yeah. when we have something in the middle of Middleton that is just so... Yeah, and something we've covered many, many times previously. It's coming up to almost a year ago now since we first heard about this. It was supposed to be over. Uh, it's supposed to be gone by the October, but it's still open because the campaign continues to keep it open. Thanks, Mary. Uh, 7.30 tonight at Middleton Park Hotel. Tonight, uh, the latest in the Onakura. 
campaign. 0818 96 96 96. Just on... Um, campaigns and things, I don't want to forget this one, uh, Leona Birmingham with whom I spoke earlier this morning uh, they've set up a Facebook page The Voice of Our Angels and people can follow that Facebook page for updates, I forgot about that uh, when I was on with Leona, thank you uh, The Voice of Our Angels Now we had an inquiry about Ballynoe Estate in Cove um, Jimmy came to us with this and he said, PJ, can I draw your attention to something? Of course you can, this is the show is for Jimmy. I live in Ballynoe Farm Estate in Cove. After 30 years, this fully finished estate has still not been taken in charge by the county council. It's not fair on us when they're taking property tax office every year. They promised something would happen earlier this year. We're now approaching June as Johnny Rogan says, what's another year? Roads, paths and gullies are in a bad state after 30 years of doing nothing with them. What a great country, says Jimmy from Ballynoe Road in Cove. We did, we put it to the council. We put the query to the council. They issued a statement to us and we'll read that next. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Right, so in response, our following on from Jimmy's um, raising the issue of us with Ballynoe Farm Estate in Cove, we contacted the County Council and they issued a statement back to us. They said Ballynoe Estate Cove is a private development in the ownership of the original developer and remains the responsibility of the developer until taken in charge. Cork County Council are in receipt of a residence taking in charge application and have communicated with the developer to seek to bring the estate to a taking in charge standard. The levying, collection and refund of local property tax is a matter for the revenue commissioners. Hang on, it's, according to Jimmy's message, it's about 30 years old now, Ballyno Farm Estate, and still not taken in charge? Something we'll come back to, if there's more to that, 0818 96 96 96. Now, this came in to us, and I'm just going to read it for what it's worth. We've heard a lot about it now, but I'm just going to put it out there. It says, I'll never book a hotel in Ireland again. They'd throw you out? At a minute's notice, unreliable, dozens of people left on their ear by greedy hoteliers so spaces can be made for unfortunate Ukrainian refugees because that can be milked for more moolah. Can you imagine getting a week's notice and you stuck in America looking forward to coming home and the accommodation you booked six months ago is gone? It's a bloody outrage. Boycott hoteliers is how the message finishes. Well, that's not something I can endorse, but I can see how you'd be a bit browned off, to say the very least, if you had booked, uh, if you're in America, and you'd booked a holiday home six months ago, and booked a hotel to come home for that holiday, and now you find you can't stay there. That would put you in bad form, to say the very least. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96 FM. I'll be there. 
Oh, we're nearly there now. Nearly there now. The Corks 96 of them giving for living Radiothon just days away. Thursday, Friday and Saturday. We start 6 a.m. Thursday. Raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. We need you. We need you good people at Cork. And we know you'll come out. When Cork comes out for its own, there isn't a city like it in the world or a county like it in the world. You can have a coffee break at home or at work or in school, wherever. Get a change collector box. If you haven't got a change collector box, fill a bucket or a shoe box or something. Raise change for us or wear your jersey this Friday on Jersey Day and use that to raise funds. There are fundraising packs to be had at 96vm.ie and it all starts Thursday at 6am with Casey and Ross. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is only on Cork's 96FM. We're absolutely buzzing with excitement for it and it's only a couple of days away now. 0818 96 96 96. Now there's a new series coming called How Long Will You Live? And it's hosted by Dr. Phil Kieran. It'll be on RTE in the autumn, I think, Phil. Good morning, isn't that right? Uh, well, yeah. So coming this autumn and uh, really looking forward to, to getting this show out there. Now you've done You Should Really See a Doctor and you're a regular on the mm-hmm. Today Show. So what's this one? Uh, so this one is going to be looking more towards preventative medicine. So it's it's not necessarily trying to find someone who's having a difficult problem. Uh, it's more looking to people who may want to improve their health overall and keep themselves healthier and fitter for longer into their into their later years, but don't necessarily know how. So we'll be looking at them, bringing them in, doing an assessment, trying to find out where they are with regards to their overall health, and then giving them advice, um, specific advice for them on how to improve their overall health and showing them what a big difference that can make. So you need people to come forward and pretty much show you, them, you know, reveal themselves to you as it were. Here's exactly. Here's how I live, here's how I exercise or don't, here's how I eat, yeah. you know, and, and, and you make the assessment then. And what do you do? You build a, build a program for them as to how they might change some bad habits. So yeah, so so mainly address like what they want to achieve out of it all, where they feel that they can do better, where they feel they can't necessarily do better, because it's all about being realistic as well, and then trying to show them what where they can get the best bang for their buck with regards to lifestyle changes and things like that. So maybe finding that maybe they have high blood pressure or something like that that if we treat now can give them ten fifteen good quality years later in their life whereas if we left it until they're in their 60s mid 60s it may be too late to do something about so it's about trying to find those what we would call modifiable factors in their lifestyle and and trying to give them the tools and the information and the knowledge to change that and show then what a big difference because if you do make small changes earlier in your life, they can have really big impacts further down the road. Um, so it's trying to show people what impacts these cho- choices can have and how to make better choices. I was just going to get to that. Like, Is it the case, generally speaking, of course, that most of the changes that we need to make to just mop up those little bad habits we have or just mm. you know redirect ourselves, most of those changes, they're, they're not huge. They may be difficult to stick with Mm. they're not huge so that's always one of the things I believe in when I'm chatting to my patients is that if you can pick sometimes people focus on well what's the one big thing I can change and sometimes that is necessary but a lot of the times it's taking you're doing pretty well it's just these few minor tweaks that we can do but cumulatively they can have a big effect 
Um, so it's about trying to identify those things. Now, it can be difficult to maintain that. And so one of the big things I would be keen to tell people is, look, if you do fall out of the habit, the, the better habits that you've made, the important thing is not to beat yourself up over it. Forgive yourself and start again. Yeah. You know, because the longer you give out to yourself about not keeping it up, the less likely you are to return to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in my own case, just I've been tr- trying to take a little more exercise, trying to take a little mm, bit more, mm. you know, to do my age, to do with the fact that I've got a bad back and stuff like that. You know, yeah. it's hard, Phil, because you go, I have it to is. do that 20 minutes. I have to do, oh no, I'll do it tomorrow. Mm. It's hard. I'll do it tomorrow. You well, can't. I know for myself, if I say I'll do it tomorrow, then I might as well just draw a line through it. It's, yeah. it's a, that, that, that's, that's not happening. And so one of the things I used to do that, and I used to stop, I, I run from time to time, I run a bit, and I used to fall off the horse of running completely because I'd go like, well, I've missed X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, look, you missed yesterday. That's no reason to miss today. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And in, instead, of, that, instead of giving out to yourself. In a 20-minute session, once you're seven or eight minutes in, you realize, I'm glad I started. Yeah, yeah. And then it's done. <laughs> then And then it's done. And most of the changes yeah. that are good for us, like, okay, someone who smokes, I don't smoke, but someone who smokes, mm. trying to cut down on the smokes, I'm told that's one of the most difficult things you ever have to do. Mm. Mm. It, it really seems, thankfully, I never got the hang of it either. Uh, but um, it seems like one of the most difficult things to get to, to encourage people to quit. Yeah. So, um, who, so. you're looking for... People from all walks of life. People from all walks of life. Um, the, the great thing about this show is it's trying to find information that will apply to everyone. So we're looking we're looking for everyone. Um, that's the thing. Um, and if anyone is interested in, I'll just give you the email address that if anyone's interested in, they can contact. So it's casting at Waddell Media, W-A-D-D-E-L-L-Media.com. Um, and so we're looking for people who are interested in their health, interested in trying to live longer, healthier, more active lives, um, but aren't quite sure where to start. And, and if they want to get in touch with us, we'd love to help. Yeah, Filming takes place between June and September. When is the, the programme on the air? So it'll be coming out in the autumn, so probably late September, I'd say. Okay. In general, do you think, um, just as, as, as a GP, Phil, do you, mm. do you think we're a generally healthy bunch or do most of us need to take, you know, <laughs> cop on to ourselves a little bit? I would say that the vast majority of us could cop onto ourselves a little bit, uh, and, I, and I'm including myself in that. Um, definitely, there, there are. I suppose the Irish people we we have typically we have odd relationships with um, food and with alcohol, and and so trying to address that a bit um, can make a big difference. I think a lot of people would think. Well, no, not a lot of people. And it's becoming less, I think, with younger people don't drink as much. But there are definitely patients I see who would not consider themselves heavy drinkers. But when you sit down and write it out and compare it to what the recommended limits are, they would be considerably over it. So I I think there is um, definitely an opportunity for a bit of self-examination for all of us and to see what things we can change and and what things we want to change, I think, is the big thing as well. You said, that's interesting, Young, young people, in your experience, are actually drinking less. I would think so. I would think a lot of people sort of 20s and 30s now do not have the, they, they, they may, I suppose what the media is or what's always focused on in, in the papers and stuff like that is uh, bad behavior and binge drinking. Um, and, and that's definitely more common in younger people. But what I'm seeing is in people 60s and 70s, there is higher numbers of people who would drink 
small amounts more, but like they may have three quarters of a bottle of wine seven nights a week, which ends up adding up to quite a lot of alcohol, you know? It does. And what about our food habits? Are we are we are we a lost cause? No, 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 no. There's no such thing as a lost cause. We we can always we That's can always help and improve question. things. Um, I suppose we do eat relatively healthy mostly, but we would have a a fondness for a fry up and um, and for a, a lot of a lot of carbohydrates. Uh, yeah. the, the sort of typical potatoes and chips and uh, lots and lots of rice would would be a a relatively true thing. So there are things that we can all improve in our diet. Um, Mm. But but by and large, definitely not a lost cause. Okay. okay. Well, con- casting at wadellmedia.com, W-A-D-D-E-L-L-Media.com. You're looking for people to take part. They'll be filmed on six episodes between June and September, and then they'll be on the telly in the autumn time. Come here, I have to do this. I, I suppose you've had it done before, but I cannot have Dr. <laughs> Phil on the radio. <laughs> I had to film <laughs> That's fair enough I'll let you have this one <laughs> Cheers Thanks very much for oh, Thanks for having me on Cheers, Dr. Phil Dr. Phil Kieran uh, from Cork uh, the real one the real doctor uh, 0818 96 How was I going to resist that? I mean come on give us a break here On that vaccination query remember we got this someone going on holidays their child will be 16 in August she got her second COVID vaccine in September got COVID at the end of February was only diagnosed through antigen test you don't get a certificate of recovery for an antigen test you only get it for a PCR so they're due to go to Spain at the end of July she doesn't have a certificate of recovery to travel she can't get a booster until six months after recovery from COVID for 12 to 15. But she's going to be 16 in August. So our caller was, or our correspondent was saying, well, why not just, can she get her booster a little bit early um, and then she'll be covered for her holidays? It's a long-winded question, but it's a head wreck trying to follow the guidelines. And I imagine it's a question that some people can resonate with. Um, because teenagers going on holidays and young kids going on holidays for the first time in two or three years, you want to be sure that you tick whatever boxes are left there to tick. Now, my recommendation to our listener was get on to your doctor. I'm not going to give out any sort of vaccination advice other than uh, everyone should have their vaccines. This came in, though. Read the vaccination query. It's irrelevant that she turns 16 she was 15 when she got both the primary vaccination and got the COVID. It will be six months post both before she is due her booster. Thank you for that. I would still recommend to our uh, messenger, though, that she contact her doctor and ask her doctor's advice. Because definitely your doctor is the one to tell you these things. Now, if you've missed anything today, the podcast of The Full Show goes up in mid-afternoon and there will be a number of different podcasts between 12 and 1, various parts of the show that you might have missed. Have a look on our website, 96fm.ie, or have a look on the 96fm app. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We shall see you tomorrow, just after 9. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.